welcome to the CMIO podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO podcast. And today I have Dr. Jonathan Teich, who is the CMIO at InterSystems. And he has definitely taken a more unusual path. Uh, he's not the typical CMIO, though he is still a practicing physician. And I think, I think as an audience here, you're really going to enjoy hearing uh, just a different type of CMIO. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Mark, it's great to talk with you this afternoon. Thanks. I, I really looking forward to this because you are such a different, uh, different breed here with what you're doing. So if you could, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now, a little bit maybe about InterSystems, um, and, and just go from there. Sure. Uh, so I am the CMIO uh, at InterSystems and also uh, head of product management for, for one of InterSystems' three major lines of work, which is called HealthShare. And HealthShare is really kind of the grand aggregator. Uh, so, so we combine and aggregate and normalize and make sense out of data coming from multiple sources, from multiple uh, places and and countries. And uh, you know, if you have a uh, medical EMR and a rehab system and a mental health system and a social care system. Uh, so it's our job to take all of that and put it into a unified care record that gives you a chance to to really see what's going on across the board for the patient. And then also having all that data to, uh, to try and uh, give you the right part of it, to try and put in front of you the answer to the question you need about this chronic care issue or this resource issue and so on. So it's really about uh, massive interoperability and, uh, and putting together data and making data much better quality than perhaps it started with and trying to answer health questions out of all of that. That's an amazing thing that we all need uh, like tomorrow or today. Or, <laughs> so I, we struggle every day I hear from my colleagues, uh, either CMIOs or practicing providers, they cannot get the data they need even though the patient is across the street. So is there hope on, on, in our future here that this is going to be better? Uh, I, I like to think so. And in fact, uh, I believe that we have uh, ourselves done a fairly good job of making it better for a lot of places. Uh, I mean, we work in with, with small and large IDNs in here in the U.S. and with health information exchanges and with uh, public agencies and do a lot overseas with uh, both government and, and private organizations. But, you know, apart from our own work, I do think that the general climate uh, in this country and, and others is very favorable and, and really kind of pushing it, frankly, to get people to do a lot more interoperation uh, among different systems. Uh, some of the things that CMS is doing here is, is really sort of pushing in that direction. So, so yeah, I think the future is brighter than it has been for a while in, in that area of making interoperability actually a real thing. Mm. Tell us more about you and how you got to this point. 
Well, sure. Uh, you know, I've always been kind of a split personality professionally. So, so I have a, a medical degree, and I'm and I still practice emergency medicine part time here in Boston at Brigham and Women's, and I have a, a, a doctorate in computer science. And so, I'm one of those those people who spent way too much time in school. And uh, you know, ha after I was done with education, I was diving into emergency medicine. And so I spent a couple of years doing nothing but patient care and was wondering how I would make use of my computer side. Uh, and then one day a, a guy comes into the ED who was uh, just broke his finger working on his uh, new house. And it turns out that this guy was the newly minted CIO of the hospital, who was a young unknown guy named John Glasser. And uh, so I started talking with John about what I thought about the nascent computer system that was in place there, a homegrown system, and uh, talked about, oh, you know, this could be better and that could be better. And about a week later, I was in his office and, and he uh, yanked me partly out of my medical uh, world into being a consultant for him. And over the next dozen years, I worked uh, with and for John and many other good people at uh, the Brigham and at Partners, uh, started the R&D system there, the R&D department there. And uh, that was sort of in the great homegrown era. We were building all the original longitudinal care records and, and CPOE and clinical decision support and early patient portals. Um, and we did a lot of research. My partners like, like Dave Bates, who is a great researcher who did things on medical errors and showed that computers actually could cut them in half or more. So, so that was a great time. And I did that for a dozen years. And then I helped form a startup that uh, was building some of the first uh, web-based health information exchanges. Did that for about seven years and spent 10 years as CMIO for Elsevier, working on their knowledge and clinical decision support side. And I joined InterSystems a little less than two years ago. So I've been constantly having a, a, a practice sideline and constantly trying to uh, be part of whatever I thought would make the biggest difference. So InterSystems is a pretty big company, global reach. How did you, how do you get your clinical voice across? Do they listen to you? Are you, are you with senior leadership impacting the company? How does that work? Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not hard actually. Uh, you know, InterSystems is big, but it honestly does have kind of a, a small company ambiance. Uh, you know, it's it's got a pretty flat organizational chart, and and particularly in in product management, we're talking to to everyone from VPs to backend developers to uh, quality assurance people to you know customer uh, CXOs all on the same day. Uh, so uh, you know, our team uh, in HealthShare has product managers from very very technical backgrounds and a few from business backgrounds. And when I came in, I was uh, privileged with the uh, resources to staff up a team of clinician informaticists. So, so we have a few doctors and nurses and, and such that work with us as well. So we, I think we have a great balance. And, uh, you know, inter-systems uh, hierarchy, which I said there isn't too deep of one, uh, but, uh, but everyone from the, the CEO on down are very interested in not only being able to carry data around and, and you know, be the great holders of data, but interested in, in solving problems. Um, you know, our customers have uh, in the past taken our data solutions and used that to customize their own uh, clinical solutions. And uh, we realize that 
if a couple of our customers are doing it, then probably it's better for, for us to do it and, and make everyone's life easier. So we do everything from uh, population health reporting to uh, deeper analytics to uh, you know, clinical decision support to some of the things that are going on now with, with uh, Blue Button 2.0 and being able to report out uh, you know, summaries of care and so on. So, it's, uh, so I would say that, that we have a very nice relationship between the clinical side and the, uh, the operational and data side, someplace that, something that I uh, you know, haven't found everywhere, and I'm, I'm very happy to be part of it. Do you find yourself more on the customer-facing side or more towards the the um, programmer side? Uh, pretty close to half and half. I think mm. that's fair. You know, I have my my team is is building things, and you know, we we work in an agile mode. So so my team are uh, are all the uh, product owners. So so that's very much a development thing, but it's a development thing with information. So everybody on my team is constantly talking with customers uh, to make sure that what we think should be done is the same as what they think should be done or, or to learn otherwise. Uh, you know, we're out to customer sites fairly constantly. And, uh, and in my role, I, I do the same thing. Uh, you know, we're about to actually have our, our annual global summit, so I'll have about Five or six hundred customers to talk with over a mm -hmm. three-day period, mm -hmm. but but we have a, a pretty good combination of of customer focus and uh, and and development methodology. I'm going to switch gears on you here just for a second. Mm -hmm. So just to let our audience know what a slacker you are, I want to just kind of highlight your education, and then maybe you can comment on. Is this what CMIOs should do, or in, in even if in smaller scale here? So the the PhD that you mentioned in electrical engineering and computer science that's from MIT, and then the B, Bachelor of Science in Chemistry was from Caltech, and then the MD degree was from Harvard Medical School. So not everyone's going to have those kinds of co absolutely horrible credentials. Um, so tell us a little bit, though, about your thoughts. What should a CMIO who's interested in pursuing, perhaps in, the, in that direction, maybe not the typical hospital CMIO, but doing informatics outside of the provider side, what, what are your thoughts about what kind of skill set a CMIO should look for? Sure. Uh, well, you know, certainly I'm, I'm happy to have gone to the, the schools that I went to, but, but I, I do think that, uh, as, I, as I told my son, who's, who's just uh, got his first real job now, uh, that it's the, the formal education carries you to a certain distance, but once you're actually doing things, what you learn and what people judge you on is, is the practical stuff. Um, so, you know, many CMIOs in, in provider and payer organizations started out as as practicing clinicians with a uh, a bent toward computers and a, and a desire to serve uh, although I think that nowadays as uh, you know the sort of the younger and newer group has more computer training just because computer training itself is is more ubiquitous and more people seek it out but I don't think it's so much the formal education as it is uh, let's say in a provider organization the the committees and the groups you work with the the practical education you know, it's really through those that you learn the actual inner workings of healthcare operations, um, and you learn the, the highways you can take and the walls that you're going to run into. Uh, so I think that that background serves for industry CMOs as well. Uh, I think that uh, a technology background is, is perhaps even more important for the industry pathway since you're involved in building software that works. But 
overall, the best experience is being knee-deep in healthcare operational decision-making. So where I have mentees uh, who are interested in this pathways, we, we talk a lot about uh, how they can get involved in hospital committees that are uh, IT-oriented or how they can get involved in broader uh, regional or even national things, uh, you know, HIMSS and AMI and EHI groups and so on, that can get them uh, talking to other people who are actually solving the real problems. I think that you get most of your education and most of your training from that. I completely agree. It's it's definitely on-the-job training for a lot of what we do, at least the practical parts. What about the business side? Did you feel that that's something you've picked up along the way or something not as critical? Um, what are your thoughts on business training for providers? I think it is useful. I think that uh, it, that's a, a real uh, question that depends on how the CMIO job itself and things like it are structured. Uh, so I am, I am nobody's uh, financial whiz, and, and I'm, I'm not the, the guy that does the business transactions and negotiations and such. Uh, so you know, my role is to, is to make uh, clinicians and users and patients feel comfortable and to, and to build things. Uh, but there are other people who have similar roles who are more focused on business. Uh, I would say that it is uh, really dependent on, on what the role is. I've seen uh, a lot of young uh, folks who are aspiring to CMIOs uh, saying that it's useful to get uh, a business degree, and some of them do the uh, uh, whatever the, the onlines or the, or the nighttime business degrees are. And I can't say that's a bad idea. I, I think that you know, if someone could inject my brain with that, uh, I think that would be something that would be beneficial to me also. I think it's important. Um, I do think that given the other things that CMIOs have to do, uh, the medical part and the informatics part, informational part, uh, I think that it's probably something which not every job will require, but uh, never hurts if you have the time. Yeah, sure, it can't hurt. Uh, you did mention uh, Amia there a minute ago and Hams. You work with both, I believe. What 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 are your what's your role with Amia right now? Uh, my role right now is is member and frequent presenter and interested participants. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's I've I've been at the Amia meetings and been a member there for twenty something years, and I've been on many committees. I've been on the board of directors for a few years, uh, also the Hims board, um, and uh, and the the early eHealth initiative board. So so I've been so I do like getting into the inner workings of these different organizations. Um, you know, they're different and they serve different tasks. AMIA is the place where new knowledge and new scientific and engineering thought first see the light of day. And it's a, a organization that has an increasing number of CMIOs from both providers and from industry uh, coming to the symposia. And they actually now have uh, the clinical informatics conference in the spring, uh, which is really more focused towards uh, the kind of practical uh, industry side uh, things. So, so that as well as their summits, uh, which give exposure to things like uh, you know, machine learning and data science. Um, I think that if you want to see what's possible and if you want to get bright new ideas, then Amy is the place to be. So, you know, compare that to HIMSS. Uh, HIMSS is, is, is different. HIMSS has a much more pragmatic focus, right? The experiences at HIMSS are deeply real-world implementation of ideas uh, with all the real-world warts and challenges. Uh, and I think that 
all CMIOs probably should be attending HIMSS uh, and potentially participating in some of the working groups. And with, with HIMSS closely linked with AMDIS, which is such a, uh, which is certainly a possible home for CMIOs, I think there's even more focus on the needs of the practicing CMIO. So, so they're, they both have their values for different parts of your brain. If someone wanted to get involved with one or the other, what's the, how, how do you get involved with one of these national groups? I know how to get involved in the committees in my hospital. All you have to do is speak up and you'll get, you'll get grabbed in. Does it work the same with these, uh, these organizations? Oh, they're, they're, they're very hungry for this. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that both HIMSS and AMIA every year have a, a self-nomination period. Uh, and you'll see that in their newsletters if you subscribe to that, or you'll find out at, if you go to the annual conferences. But there's a period of time where they say, oh, you know, we're looking for members for these 15 different committees. I think that uh, HIMSS, I know, puts out a general call. I think that, uh, I think Amia does as well. So, so it's, it's actually pretty easy if you're a member and you just go onto the website at the appropriate time and find the right page and, and go put it in. I, I, I expect that they're, uh, more likely to say yes than no, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so first step is membership, it sounds like. And uh, just my two cents, if you're not a member of both, I do recommend it. That's my, my two cents on it. But uh, in terms of the industry today, what's exciting to you? What do you think is something that the CMIOs should be watching? You know, there are new technologies and there are new targets. And I think there's a lot of new territory in both of those that, that really affects our jobs. Uh, you know, on the technology side, now I'm going to give you a, a biased statement right here, but interoperability tech is critical. Uh, so, you know, what, finding out what the new trends are in accessing public and private available data, especially with so many resources now available uh, on public websites and so on. Uh, you know, do you understand fire, which I think is, is taking the world by storm? Do you understand how to use APIs and how to connect applications? I think that's a very big thing. Um, you know, the other pieces in, in technologies, I think uh, natural language processing has made a number of leaps and bounds. We're very interested in it here. Um, it opens up the possibility of unlocking all that critical data that exists only in free text notes, including uh, you know, a, a real preponderance of social determinant data, which I think very often shows up only in notes. So I think that's important. Machine learning and AI is, is certainly still in a rapidly undulating hype cycle, but we are starting to see uh, areas fall out where uh, machine learning can improve risk prediction and therapy management and resource allocation. So I think it's good to uh, start to understand what it can do and what it can't. So that's the technology side. Uh, and then on the target side, no surprise, we're all living longer. There's a lot more folks out there with chronic diseases, um, and we need to seriously optimize both quality and cost of those. And health IT is going to play a huge role in understanding how to do that better. So you know, being able to understand how information is different uh, for this kind of thing. Because you know, when we first did information technology stuff, and it was all about fixing allergies and drug interactions and a lot of acute care stuff, that's all been very important. But now it's about making sure that you're getting the appropriate testing done, making sure that you're seeing uh, your, you know, your ophthalmologist and your foot doctor, this is if you're a diabetic, mm -hmm. uh, and so on. So I think that IT is very important there. 
and of course, CMS has a whole bunch of new regulations that come out of, of the Cures Act and, uh, you know, TEFCA and Blue Button 2.0 in particular, which have very specific IT requirements. So I think that you need to look uh, with your with the M side of your job, the medical side, at at what's what's new in healthcare that's important, and with the I side, the information side, at some of these technologies that are now starting to find real applications. The government seems to have stuck its toe into the uh, interoperability waters here. If you're willing, take a, a guess as to how does this shake out? What what happens? Does the government get more into the regulatory side or does industry figure out how to do this and make it unnecessary? Where does this go? Well, the government is a great driver. Uh, you know, government is paying for 30 plus percent of our health care. And when they say we're going to tie some of our payment to this particular incentive or this particular requirement, uh, people listen pretty good. You know, if in, in the industry, uh, the people in the health IT industry are very interested in pleasing their customers, and their customers are the providers and the payers and whatnot, and, and, and they listen to what's, uh, what's driving them. So when CMS comes out with something and ties money and financial incentives to it, whether it's value-based care or, or, or blue button or anything else like that, uh, people certainly listen, and that's a great lever. Uh, and I think they will, I don't know if they'll do a lot more, but I think that the things that have happened over the past four or five years are uh, actually taking root. Uh, you know, particularly over the past year where uh, CMS has said, you know, you really do have to, uh, you know, follow TEFCA. We really are going to make sure that uh, payers are providing uh, summaries in FHIR to, to patients and now to providers. Uh, you know, each of these things are tractable and, and it's, it's, a, it's a bite that's not too big to bite off. Um, and I think they're doing a decent job pushing that out. Now, like anything else, I expect that with rulemaking, there always comes a little bit of pushback and the deadlines may shift a little bit. Um, and, you know, sometimes things tend to get up and down a little bit. I actually spent three years uh, as a contractor to ONC myself. So, so I've seen a lot of this firsthand, both the, both the good and the bad. But some of it will persist and some of it will come out. And I think that, uh, that people will change their behavior and, and health IT industry people like ourselves will change what we produce as a result of that. Are you still involved with any of the programs that are being formed here by the government or, or giving opinions on those things? Should, should CMIOs be involved in this kind of work? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the uh, you know, ONC has been very uh, active certainly over the past over the past few years and and you know several times in its existence has been very active um, and uh, you know I just went to the ONC interoperability meetings in Washington about uh, two or three weeks ago and you know it's a great place to see what's coming down the pike um, and I think that's very important I you know I myself have participated in a bunch of different committees and work groups. Uh, you know, uh, ONC uh, headed up a work group on uh, clinical decision support and what its future is, which is a, a dear area of mine. Uh, I've worked on some things about uh, the National Library of Medicine trying to change. Uh, they, they set up a roadmap. So there's a lot of roadmapping that the government does. And I think that's something where it's typically by invitation, but I think that if you start going to meetings and start making your 
voice heard, I think that over time you get to be part of the group that gets asked to be the speakers at these meetings. So that's a great educational and career growth pathway for people. Do, do you still enjoy, I guess you're out there publicly speaking a fair amount now, do you, do you enjoy that? I do. It's it's fun, uh, you know. For because I guess I guess people don't shout you down too much uh, most of the time. So 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 for a while you can say something and and feel confident that at least for the half hour that that follows you sound like the the guy who knows what he's talking about. Um, no, I, I I do like that. I, I like moving the broader needle, um, and and you know I think that's very important. I think that. Uh, you know, I tell people that as an emergency doc, I work on a four-hour time frame, and and as a uh, as someone at Intersystems, I tend to work on a six to twelve-month time frame. And with the government, you might work on a twenty-four to thirty-six-month time frame, but you still have an impact at the end. So I, I do like being able to uh, keep the discussion moving because a few bits of it do trickle down into actual into action, and uh, and that's pretty far-reaching, high-impact action when it happens. Yeah, it's great to have that impact. Absolutely. So any advice for new providers entering the field? If you're talking to someone who is out of residency, they're they're practicing, they're getting into some informatics committees, what do they do if to really move forward? Well, certainly if you are in a hospital or, or in a uh, delivery network, then the number one thing I think is to uh, is to get yourself introduced to and and inserted into some of the decision making groups and some of the work groups uh, that deal with the IT itself and also with kind of how the hospital is using information. So as a as a CMIO, you're going to be the great bridge between the uh, medical side of the house and the IT side of the house. So you not only want to be involved in groups that are talking about how we will, you know, resource things or, or what our next purchase is going to be, but also how we are going to use information. Are we going to be involved in, uh, you know, machine learning purchase for, for imaging? You know, are we going to be involved in some of these quality programs, you know, are we, if we're going to talk about Tefka and Blue Button or 21st Century Cures, can I be one of the information knowledgeable representatives on that? So I would say get involved in, in groups that are thinking about that. If you are going into, if you want to go into industry, there's, there's an increasing number of CMIOs in industry. Uh, I still think that having a background from healthcare provider or healthcare payer uh, or healthcare service is uh, is still a big thing that uh, that the industry will stand up and take notice by. That sounds like great advice in terms of getting involved first, making sure you're comfortable and actually enjoy this this field, and then starting to reach out from there to step up the involvement. Uh, yeah. it, never, never, think, never underestimate the, uh, the, the amount of, of, uh, of, of attention you'll get if you actually say, I'm going to do some work for you. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Uh, just curious, what, what conferences do you go to as a CMIO? Because I know all my colleagues, we always debate, you. we only get, a, you know, say $5,000 to spend on our travel budget. Where, where should we go? Which conference? Well, uh, him certainly, I would, I would say, is, is important. Uh, and 
uh, you know, AMDIS has become uh, something of a home for CMIOs. Uh, I would probably suggest people at least uh, try that out either at the, the Physician Symposium at HIMSS, which is run by both as one, but AMDIS has its own meeting uh, in the, uh, usually in the summertime in California. Um, I think Amy is a good place to go. Uh, so those are all ones that, that I attend. I think, you know, I also go to Chic, which is the health information exchanges, and that's important for uh, a lot of the customers that we have. Um, I happen to go to a lot of meetings that are similar but overseas as well. Uh, again, AMIA Clinical Informatics, I think, is, is a, a really good place to, uh, to get your feet wet as well as potentially uh, touching base with the AMIA Fall Symposium. Uh, I think those are good. And then, you know, in your medical specialty, so mine is ASAP, the Emergency Physicians College, uh, mm -hmm. there are typically going to be information technology interest groups or work groups, and you probably will find that there's some kind of a meeting or, or a clutch or something at the annual meetings there that are worthwhile. So I think those are places to start. Um, the other I'll, I'll mention, um, you know, eHealth Initiative has has done uh, a lot of things. They've they've recast themselves in a couple different ways, and I think that uh, they do a lot of interesting work as well. So there's there's a couple. One area I forgot to ask you about: uh, board certification in informatics. What's your opinion on that? Something CMIOs or potential CMIOs should be thinking about? Board certification is an important metric of a certain level of achievement. I think that it certainly shows that uh, you've gotten a certain base level of knowledge. Uh, I think it, uh, it is certainly something that you may find uh, some job interviewers starting to look at. So, so I think it's, it's uh, useful for that. Uh, you know, I believe at this point, the grandfather clause that allowed people to kind of go in without taking a fellowship is, is running out soon. So I think that it may require participation in an informatics fellowship. So that's a time commitment. So uh, I think you have to look into that. You know, most of the people that are board certified, I believe, are mainly in academic careers. Uh, but, uh, but like I say, I think it may be that some jobs start to look at that. But uh, you have to kind of balance that out with the education requirement. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I want to stick to our promise to get you out of here on time. Uh, John, this has been great. I think it's been really great to understand someone who's uh, not necessarily directly on the provider side in a hospital doing CMIO work, but more on the industry side. That perspective, how you got there, and your thoughts and views on the world here have been really, really great. So thank you for coming on the show. I do, I do greatly appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure, Mark. And uh, if, if people want to get in touch with me you know, afterwards, I, I think you might provide a link to, to a way to do that. So I'd be happy to talk with people who are young in the career and interested in uh, moving in, in one direction or another. Would LinkedIn be a good way to get in touch with you? That will work. All right, perfect then. And, uh, and that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.